Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Dogs have no money. Isn't that amazing? They broke their entire lives. They get through. I don't know why dogs have no money. No pockets. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Thomas, and I am here as always with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you and what are you drinking this fine afternoon, sir? Damn good. It is beautiful here uh, in Jersey. And I'm just polishing off uh, a board meeting. Oh, it's the same the same beer from last one. Yeah, I'm not I'm getting trying... white girl wasted today. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I left my rosé in the fridge, <laughs> <laughs> right next to the box wine. <laughs> That's right. I'm trying this uh, responsibility test where I only consume like I don't know two beers on a Tuesday at eight percent ABV. Well, that's not probably like, a decent idea. Yeah, right. I, I think Laura <laughs> likes it too. Anna and I are currently doing a 30 day no booze challenge. Mm. So, I thought you were doing a 365 day no booze challenge. Well, no, we usually just only drink on the weekends, but right now we're just like, all right, let's just 30 days, none, none of it. Mm. None of it. So you're just going to, I mean, I never drink booze in the podcast anyway, so it doesn't yeah. really affect our listeners. They're not going to get any beer recommendations from me. And if they asked me for beer recommendations, it would just be a bunch of like, casual level wheat beers. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I was going to say, Laura and I only really drink Monday through Thursday and then heavily drink Friday through Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I am drinking, I could, uh, I could recommend you a bunch of really peaty scotches that will uh, make paint peel off of the walls. I would love that. So, mm, yep. Yeah. I think my favorite, well, Lagavulin is my favorite one. But also the Laphroaig cask strength is amazing. And Ooh. I usually like to get that one because Lagavulin is like a hundred bucks a bottle or more, maybe 110. That's a lot. I'll drink it yeah. like it's 20. So yeah. Uh, well, whereas the Laphroaig cask strength is, uh, in my opinion, much better than the normal Laphroaig, but still only about 70 bucks. Mm. So pretty good. Uh, I also found out the other day that my three favorite scotch distilleries, uh, Ardbeg, Laphroaig, and Lagavulin are all like literally right next to each other in Scotland. Oh like, my god! If you zoom so... in on the map, way down, you're just they're just like <laughs> they are all within spitting distance of each other. Sounds like you need to do a pilgrimage. I'd kind of want to. Seriously, that would uh, be so cool, dude. The well, ever since I got the idea from Parks and Rec, because uh, Ron Swanson goes to Scotland and goes <laughs> to the distillery, I have wanted to do that. And now that I know that all three of those distilleries are right next to each other, I might just have to do a big old distillery day. And then I'll just <laughs> be, be wandering so cool. around the Scottish countryside drunk off my ass. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else in Scotland. <laughs> That's not offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. <laughs> we're going to get emails from Scottish listeners saying you're an asshole. We're going to get Scott. We're, we're going to get emails from English listeners saying, damn right. <laughs> Anywho, so today, I mean, you read the title of the episode before you downloaded it onto your phone, or maybe you didn't. I don't know. Maybe you somehow get these onto an iPod shuffle with no screen and you <laughs> just uh, listen to the latest thing. Either way, today we're going to talk about a concept called scaling. So <clears throat> um, 
I've been having a lot of conversations with people lately, and you know, uh, and then, by the way, this this episode specifically relates to business, although I think it is pretty applicable to investing and just general things in life. Uh, I apply it yeah. uh, to video games, and I, I think, think we'll I talk, attribute. We'll huh. talk mostly about business, but uh, don't get it wrong. Like scaling applies to a lot of things in life. And, and okay, so you know, let me give, let me give you the example of the video game. And uh, so I play this game called Heroes of New Earth. It's like League of Legends, but less popular. You're a filthy and Han player. That's right. I, I think just race. a bunch of a bunch <laughs> of losers play Han. It's actually really cool. Um, I, I have no dog in this fight. It's just like this five v five thing. But but anyways, you pick this hero, and they have like these four uh, skills, right? That, that you can level right. up and then you can get items. And uh, what is tempting is there there's like heroes that like this uh, skill will do X damage, like I don't know, 100 damage. And then it, it maxes at four levels and maybe at level four, it's like 400 damage. Um, but as like, and so early on in the game, that's really powerful because it's a lot of damage. But as the game goes on, it maxes at 400 damage so, like, relatively speaking, uh, you kind of suck. And if you focus on heroes that have attributes that, that could potentially scale infinitely or items that you could purchase that could scale infinitely, uh, you just could you could suck and you could do so much better than people that make poorer choices. Um, and, the, and the idea came to me because uh, I think I – just kind of do this thing, but I'm talking to a lot of people. I'm like kind of doing some business consulting for free because I, I love it. And um, people are are embarking on business ideas that, that kind of suck or just really, really difficult, perhaps more difficult than they would need to be. Um, and so I wanted to discuss scale and perhaps uh, as a concept to keep in mind so that um, you could do less work and perhaps have potentially infinite upside. Yeah. So to put a very general definition on scale, something that doesn't scale well would be something where you put an hour in and you're always going to get X number of dollars out, $10. Right. So 10 bucks an hour. You know, you go work at McDonald's. That doesn't scale very well. They're going to pay you $10 an hour. Maybe you work your way up eventually, but it's likely that you're not going to make a whole lot more than that. Uh, mm. ever and you're still going to be putting in hours whereas if you build um let's just say you, you build a web app that lets people uh take pictures of their dogs and send them into space so that way they can upload youtube videos of their dogs pictures in space which is probably the next viral trend <laughs> you know you spend 20 hours coding that website because you're a baller mm. and you know it costs people five dollars to send their dogs picture to space once that website is made and set up, that can scale because you can more sell more an can unlimited amount. Of, exactly. Yeah. So the only limitations there are the number of people who want to send dog pictures into space, which is probably a lot, and uh, the beefiness of the server that your website is hosted on. Yeah, and you know, uh, if you think about it, the very first version of Windows, you know, they put all this time in, they built this thing. Then they, I don't know, put it on a floppy disk or whatever was originally used back then. Carry, they, they attached to a carrier pigeon and mm -hmm. the carrier pigeon installed it infinitely on as many computers as possible. So it was like a fixed yeah. amount of effort. Um, 
unlimited upside. So I guess a really good definition of scale is anything where you can set up a process in advance that allows extra profit to be generated um, through the application of some resource that isn't your time and, is scalable. And, so that yes. could be like a company that you could just, if you're, if you're running a company that can hire more salespeople, that's scalable. If mm. you're running a web app that is easily accessed by anybody in the world and they can buy something that doesn't require you to put in the work with every unit sold, that scales well. If you're an employee, that doesn't scale well. If you're running, I know you put in the show notes here, uh, a co-working space. Mm -hmm. That doesn't scale very well because there's a hard limit on the income based on the, how many desks you can There are a certain the amount of seats you could sell. And so yeah. if before you even open your co-working space, you could calculate how many seats you're going to have, how much your rent is. And before you even open your doors, you know what the maximum amount a month you could possibly make is. And so you could be the best co-working space ever. And maybe, maybe you can increase prices, but uh, there, there's essentially a maximum. And so, so you could be WeWork and you could just scale by opening well, more and more WeWorks. So what, what I wanted to add as like an addendum to your uh, description is uh, like the ultimate is obviously you build this web app and then you sell it infinitely until the end of time and you just print money from like 20 hours effort that unfortunately no longer exists. That was like uh, in 1998 when the internet started. <laughs> uh, you, you missed that boat. Sorry. Sorry to break it to you. Um, but like much more realistically – uh, is the the income that you make uh, outpaces the the costs uh, necessary to generate that income? And so, if you yeah. look at like say Google, and and we are, and just to be clear, we're not going to focus on software and Internet Things only. They're just easy examples. Yeah. But you look at Google. There's a point if you were to like draw a, a graph of like their income, and then you were to draw like a, a line graph on top of that of their expenses. In the beginning, the lines are like basically touching or maybe expenses or much more likely expenses are higher than income. And over time, and Google is like literally hiring as fast as they can, uh, the income just breaks away. And so you have this like kind of V where the income is going and growing faster than the yep. expenses are, even though they're literally buying everything and spending as fast as they can. And so yeah. that's, that's scale. Um, and uh, – to, to maybe throw one more, well, you, you said like hours are not scalable. And so you look at these huge consulting companies like McKinsey that uh, are really prestigious. And it's like the ultimate definition, like you said, of something that can't scale because. Well, not can scale. So I guess you have to figure out, um, is the dollar, specific dollar tied to the hour or is it tied to something else? Because. As McKinsey does more and more work and works for more and more prestigious clients, they can start to charge more per hour. Or maybe they move into areas that are more and more esoteric and therefore but, you can charge more per hour. Now, there is always a hard cap, right? So I guess yeah. the question is like, I think scaling is sort of this fuzzy concept because literally anything you can think of, there is a theoretical hard cap. There are well, only so many particles in the universe. and mm. I mean... I don't have the data to support that, but in theory, I will agree with you. <laughs> I'm just being an <laughs> asshole. Anyways, so so on, on McKinsey, so like you said, you could you could raise say the price of yeah, you know what is essentially they they operate on the billable hour. So granted, you could you could increase the price, mm -hmm. but 
as more projects come on board, um, as more employees, because you could always add another employee and then you have like double the billable hours. You could add right. then then four employees and you doubled it again. But uh, there is overhead with the employees uh, managing them, the the amount of clients and stuff that you've picked up. Uh, and, and not to mention that an employee, if say they're at a $50 billable hour, actually costs roughly $100 an hour based on benefits and taxes and blah, blah, blah. And so as you but scale, it's actually- they still generate profit. Yeah. I mean, they definitely generate a profit, but it, it becomes increasingly harder. Um, yeah. You know, and then you have to like main, retain all these employees. And so uh, while I think I was reading somewhere, maybe they made like $38 billion last year, which is an enormous amount of money. Mm-hmm. It is an incredibly challenging business to be in, run. Um, I personally wouldn't aspire to run the most challenging form of company. I want yeah. something easy because, because I'm not that good. Well, and when you think about scalability, you have to think about what will your resources and the resources that you're likely to have in the next short period of time enable you to do. Mm. So uh, McKinsey may be able to scale a consulting model because they have the capital and the overhead required to hire more people. So their scalable unit, their scalable metric is people, is consultants. Mm -hmm. Um, If you were to start your own personal consulting practice, Maybe it is possible that at some point you could hire somebody on, but it is unlikely that you could do that very soon. So you're going into a pretty non-scalable business because your unit, uh, I mean, your you know your one metric is your billable hour. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you are an author, you can write a book and it can sell as many or as few copies as the market you know demands and as your marketing efforts will allow for. So that's pretty scalable. So um, true, uh, but but I, I think there's also this uh, thought where uh, there is a so okay, Thomas, you're a really smart guy. You know all these things. You've grown a business and blah 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 blah. All these things. Uh, you could go and consult if you wanted to, and charge a certain amount of money per hour based on that. But yep. There is a theoretical, not theoretical, there is a maximum that you could charge per hour that someone is willing to pay. Mm-hmm. And if you are a super premium person, maybe you could charge 10, 15, 20% above anyone else who charges whatever, but there's going to be a hard max where like yes. you'll have no clients, right? And so uh, one of like the concepts I think of like a super sexy business is the ability to increase your prices. And so- to, to contrast, if you look at Amazon Prime, so uh, I don't know if you know, and by the time this this episode comes out, it will already have been a thing. Amazon increased the price of Prime from ninety nine dollars to one hundred nineteen dollars. Really? Yeah, I and remember so, when it was eighty. Yeah, seventy nine, whatever. And, and so if it you, was so, like thirty for me when I was a student or something like that. So if you think about it, like the the amount of value that you get at a prime, screw all the the uh, uh, other services like music and whatever, just the just the shipping alone, I find to be extremely worth it, right? And so yeah. if they increase it by twenty dollars, I think the likeliness of people canceling is is like close to nil, right? Some people will, but so some, I mean, there's always a math equation. Like the number of people who cancel is there's got to be some 
some dollar amount that will cancel that out. Mm-hmm. And so um, because of like the, the utility value of, of this thing, uh, they have no real price constraints. Obviously, there'll be a theoretical maximum as well, but the thing is, because it's not a physical good or anything like that, they could sell Prime an unlimited amount of times, and it turns out they have roughly 100 million customers, and if you take 100 million and you multiply it by the price increase of 20, Amazon literally created $2 billion in revenue out of thin air um, just by increasing the price. So, that's yeah. like really super sexy to have that mm-hmm. ability in your business. Yeah, exactly. Another great example for scale would be like if you were doing support. Uh, if, you're, if your only method of supporting your customers is an email form and you got to answer the emails, that's not very scalable. Whereas if you invest time into building like a knowledge base where they can go and find the answers themselves, that's really scalable. Mm. That resource is going to be there no matter how uh, big your customer base gets. And of course, there's always going to be people who need person-to-person support. But, I mean, when's the last time you were able to get person-to-person support on Google? Yeah. Uh, I don't even know how to get in contact with anybody at Google. <laughs> so they just have support docs. So I, I kind of want to go over just a bunch of examples of things that don't scale, why they don't, things that can scale, why they do. Um and there, there are follow-up business episodes coming because uh, the interest has actually like been overwhelming. Like people wanting to start. I'm glad. Oh, uh, but we, yeah, but we want you to like uh, put your time towards uh, the best or perhaps most lucrative pursuits. You know, not to say that um, co-working space is not a great business or that you shouldn't, you know, do it. Uh, the, the risk is probably outsized versus the reward. Mm. And so you had uh, mentioned consulting where it was like uh, selling your hours, something that uh, – so, so it's like, okay, well, selling your hours is not scalable because you have a certain amount of hours in the day and that's it. You're like, well, right. what about uh, custom work? You know, um, Laura and I like making websites and we've been making websites for people um, for, for free because whatever, it's like a hobby. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that is also not scalable. And you'd think, well, you know, you, you've broken out of the, the per hour rate, right? And you say like, how much is a website? I don't know, 5,000, 10,000, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever the price is to build a website. Um, but again, there are upper limits because you have competitors who are, you know, What's the marginal value of your fifty thousand dollar website versus your competitor's forty five thousand? Um, and they throw in free hot sauce. Like you, you can't compete with that. Yeah, you know. And then you have to manage clients and stuff. And so you're kind of, if like your goal was to quit your job and run your own business, you're like literally dismantling, dismounting one hamster wheel to like mount another hamster wheel. Yep. Um, one that's much harder. I mean, it's now, way if you easier. Really, really like that? Then yeah, sure. And I, I, mean, I guess uh, one key lesson in this episode should be that scale isn't the only thing to be chasing. Mm. Um, if there is a business model that you are in love with, or you love being an employee, you just got to realize this doesn't scale very well. But I'm okay with that. You know. So I guess what we're going to talk about in this episode is for people who do, I guess people who want to decouple their time from their income earning potential. Mm. 
You know, we were talking, and so this, it'll be in order. The episode before this was Adam on diversification. And Adam is a, is a brilliant guy, and, and I, I think that uh, the the cap on the time he talked to him was in our time. It was until he was done talking to us, and then <laughs> and then we're done talking, you uh-huh. know. And, and he's a guy who has uh, taken upon himself, like, really challenging problems. And so him working at Betterment is probably more a factor of the challenge than – like many other things. And so, yeah. uh, you know, if, if like you say, find yourself like Adam and, and maybe you're not like, I don't know, doing quant math, but you're um, making ice cream and you just really enjoy it. Uh, maybe the solution isn't to quit making ice cream so you could do something else. And I don't know, be a millionaire. Uh, you should probably still make ice cream if you like it. Yeah. Um, but if you pick up something that, provide you with the time to make ice cream and earn on the side, like that's optimal. And that's something that, that is uh, scalable. You ever heard that story about the, uh, the fisherman, which teach a man to fish who is no, the, so there's a story about, a. it's it's a guy who's a fisherman and he's just like a single pole fisherman. And he's, uh, just laying out on the, the bank by the pond. And this business guy comes up. He's like, what are you doing? You're just laying there. And the guy says, well, I caught all the fish I need for the day. I'm going to go sell them later and I'll have enough money to feed my family. And the guy says, well, you know what? I'm a Harvard MBA and I can help you out. What you should do is spend extra three hours per day catching more fish so you can make more money. And the guy says, all right, what am I going to do with that? He says, I'll tell you what, you're going to buy yourself a fishing vessel and you're going to go out with a trawler and catch even more fish. You're going to take the extra profits from that. You're going to hire another fishing trawler with a buddy. You take that profit and you're going to start a giant fishing company, eventually have a fleet of boats and start the biggest fish company in the world. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I guess I forgot to say at the beginning, he's like, well, after I sell the fish, I'm just going to go hang out with my family and play guitar with my friends. Mm. So he's like, all right, what do I do after I make this gigantic company, spend 40 years of my life building it, being the CEO? And the Harvard MBA says, well, you could retire. Then you could just relax and hang out with your family and play guitar with your friends. (laughs) he was already doing that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um you don't have to scale a business to enjoy your life yeah and and i think it's it's a a misnomer or like uh people idolize you know look jeff bezos is undoubtedly the richest man in the world last i checked he i don't know had 130 something billion dollars to his name yeah it's Um, crazy but like the not like, oh, my God, like, let's compare ourselves to Jeff Bezos. But realistically, there is not there there comes a point where I don't know, maybe it's at a billion, maybe it's at a million. I don't know where you could do everything that you need to do, everything that you want to do. Um, and so at the end of the day, uh, you could be buff like Bezos and you could prance around like Bezos and do whatever you want. Uh, and he's not all that different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's talk about some more things that don't scale very well. We talked about consulting, selling your hours, being an employee, uh, custom client work. So if you are making custom websites or custom art, if you're an artist taking on commissions, Mm. that's still a lot of dollars for hours. Now, you can scale a little bit with these things by raising your prices. But as we said, over time, you're eventually going to get to a point where the market will not accept higher prices. So maybe you can move into the super boutique art world where they will accept crazy prices, but true, it's unlikely. You know, uh, in like researching this, um, did you know that uh, supermarkets 
only have a 1% profit margin? I didn't know the exact number, but I did know that it was pretty low. Because at the end of the day, like, I mean, and obviously there's like, I don't know, artists and crackers, and you could probably mark those up to obscene levels, and that's probably what they do, but they're like core items. crackers are blessed by monks. Damn right. So... But they're core items, like, I don't know, broccoli, milk, whatever, that you expect it to be, whatever. Um, yeah. People are super price sensitive to. And so you're kind of stuck yeah. in this thing where if your workers uh, were previously making $7 an hour and now they want seven fifty, it could like tank your entire business. Like you just doesn't work yeah. anymore. Yeah. So I guess that's, that's another key element of scalability is whatever you're selling has to either be, uh, what is it, price elastic Mm. Or was it no price inelastic? Because I think inelastic pricing is that when the pricing um, shifts, the demand doesn't change that much. Whereas if it's elastic pricing, uh, and people can email me if I'm wrong about this and I haven't switched around, but I believe elastic pricing would be where the price shifts and the demand shifts quite a bit. So if the price for broccoli went up a dollar, the demand's probably going to go way down. I don't want to pay an extra dollar for broccoli, but if the price on a luxury car goes up, I don't care because I wasn't I wasn't choosing to buy this Cadillac because it was $55,000 instead of $56,000. Yeah. And I was choosing to buy it so I could drive by my neighbor's house and laugh at him for being poor. You know, <laughs> I'll pay any amount of money for that. Dude, it's <clears throat> the same thing with the iPhone. Like Android outsells the iPhone like leaps and bounds and the mm-hmm. amount of install base for Android's like insane. But I think it was last quarter, which when this episode's going up was Christmas, uh, Apple and, and the iPhone took uh, over 90% of smartphone profits. So, wow. you know, less people are buying them than Android, but they're making all the money. Right. Yeah, and, and it, isn't it crazy? Like a few years ago, we were paying what six or seven hundred dollars for a new phone, and mm. now they just they came up with a thousand dollar phone, and we all bought it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, because so, the whole thing is the average price of the iPhone now went up, and um, so they don't even need to sell nearly as many iPhone Xs. I mean, yeah. If, and so this whole thing, we're like, well, you could definitely get artisan milk. What if you wanted? I don't know. Um, breast milk from Moroccan women for your baby because that is, I don't know, better, right? Uh, you could probably charge more for it. And maybe um, yep. there, there's all these things you could do, but there's like a max to the amount of milk. It's not- um, Anything that's like a daily necessity or commodity is going to be very price elastic. Mm. Anything that is a specialty item or is luxury good or is the best in its market is going to be more price inelastic, allowing you to scale better. Mm. Uh, but the pricing isn't the only thing. So it's it's price inelasticity or the ability to produce um, on a scale that doesn't require more effort from you, or at least like you can produce more units with a, a not equivalent um, extra expenditure of effort. Right. So can you set up a factory and hire people to make more things for you? Or can you, actually, in this day and age, you can probably just hire a factory in some other country to make things for you once you've, you know, once you have more demand than you can handle on your own. And there you go. Now it scales amazingly. You know, and so you could look at something like a restaurant where, uh, so so the co-working space is limited by the space. There's a certain amount of seats, whatever. Um, and the restaurant uh, is 
similar, right? I mean, there's a certain amount of seats you could sell, whatever the turnover is of the tables. There's, you know, maybe you could charge a lot more for the food because you're super fancy, but still there's like a hard cap. And then you could be like, well, I'll just do delivery. Um, yeah. But uh, you you need uh, to expand your kitchen to, to produce this. You need to find a car for every item. So you, you're either... Uh, limited by the amount of deliveries you actually push through or you mm-hmm. compromise on like the heat or, or the quality when it's delivered. And so um, not scalable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same with co-working spaces, as we said. Though, I mean, I, I think WeWork has kind of proven to be an exception because they've figured out a way to just continue buying locations or leasing locations in cities all around the world. So... A single co-working space is not very scalable, but a company that opens many co-working spaces is scalable. Mm. At this point, the CEO of, of WeWork isn't, you know, he doesn't have to be sitting at every desk of every WeWork in the world. He can just hire people to do that. Oh, for sure. He can hire more kombucha vendors and more free beer vendors and all sorts of stuff. So it's very scalable at that point. But the problem is- They're still not profitable. Certain businesses, though. I think- I guess here's the, they're not profitable? No. Really? Re- really, yeah. Interesting. I mean, you know, I think I think that they're still in a good position though. Well, they are. With the way that work is going. They've got investors giving them money. <laughs> it's a right. great position to be in. I think they're in a great position because with the way I see WeWork as um, quite similar to the position that McDonald's found themselves in. Once mm. they stored, sort of shifted their thinking from our money comes from the uh, hamburger to our money comes from being a real estate owner. I was, yeah. Mm. Um, I feel like- But WeWork we doesn't Endgame, own the places. They, they, they don't lease. own the places, but no. what they do is they own the gathering place for an increasingly large segment of the workforce. Mm. And they own the attention of- freelancers and business people and startups that are headquartering themselves there. And when you have the attention of people who are super creative, innovative, and often wealthy, you can do a lot with that. There are network effects. There are benefits. You can get uh, cheaper healthcare for your startup because you fall under the WeWork umbrella. And so so there's there's so much more than they can do that Mm. their profit is not going to come from selling desks and, and little glass offices. Some of it will, but they've got so much more potential. But look, this is not something, this is not something you could embark on and achieve like with right. out taking on capital. And so that, I guess that's what I want to say here is uh, a lot of businesses are scalable, but they're only scalable with an immense capital expenditure that you mm. probably don't have. So what, what's scalable at your level? And this is a question you're going to ask yourself through every single stage of the business journey. Hmm. You know, Andrew and I are asking ourselves, how do we scale X, Y, and Z now? But these wouldn't have been questions for us at all five years ago when we started. And uh, yeah, I, I think that um, you have to, before you even like pick up the shovel and start digging, just think about um, the type of business you'll be building, where the money will come from. Uh, and just imagine, fast forward your your brain to see if like, um, if there's any money in it for you. Because yeah, uh, at the end of the day, like you could definitely take on investors, and you know we idolize quite a lot of the the people that run like I don't know Airbnb or Spotify or Netflix or whatever. Um, but once you take on money from other people, they become your boss. Yep. 
And so and you're, people that are investing are looking for scale because they're looking for a big return. Exactly. And so you come into this like problem where um, you could like uh, take five years of your life like out and just like work like a dog. And at the end, you know, you'll, you'll uh, be stressed as hell. But you'll have your own business. You'll be fine that you own versus you could do the same thing, have something perhaps a hundred times larger but at the end, there, there's not real. The end is like an exit. You have to then sell your baby um, to realize yeah. your, your freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned something here in the things that don't scale section that I did want to touch on for a second. Uh, mm-hmm. Super niche things. If you made pants that cater to people with three arms, you may sell some, but there's clearly a max you can sell. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, one thing that I do want to mention here, though, is a lot of people who are successful entrepreneurs now and who are divested across many different industries or they have many different products, they got their start doing something pretty niche. Mm. And the great thing about starting in a, in a somewhat you, niche area. Do you have an example? Uh, Lewis House got his start doing LinkedIn tips, like LinkedIn, how to optimize your LinkedIn stuff. And then uh, by doing these in-person meetups in cities where he would use his LinkedIn network to get people to come to a restaurant. He would get 10% of the restaurant's uh, profit from the night for bringing people in. Mm -hmm. And that was not a very scalable thing. He had to go to the city. He had to bring people to the event. He had to be at the event and schmooze and all that kind of stuff and organize it. And he would make whatever, you know, whatever the percentage was. So that didn't scale super well, but doing that helped him start to make a name for himself. And at first, he was able to uh, leverage that to ask for more profit from the restaurants. So mm. he's starting to get well-known enough that he could be like, hey, what's your worst night of the week? And the restaurant owner would say, uh, Tuesday nights. It's like, okay, I'm going to bring I'm gonna bring 100 high-profile business owners in this town to your restaurant on Tuesday night. I'm going to make it your best night of the week, uh, but I want 20%. Mm. So boom, double your money overnight, probably even more because you're bringing more people. And then... He was able to leverage all the LinkedIn branding and all, all the relationships built through these in-person events to start a podcast, which became top like top ten in iTunes for a while. It's probably mm. still top fifty. Uh, now he's a baller. You know, I'm sure he makes millions. Uh, he's got like two, I think, published books out at this point. A, a in-person live event. So the point here is that a niche pursuit can be a great thing to start with because you're not throwing yourself into a huge pond where it's very difficult to differentiate yourself. If you go into a niche, you're able to make a name for yourself because there isn't a whole lot of competition, and then you can use that niche to expand slowly into broader things once you have more name recognition. And and so I think you touched on something where uh, you, you are... You, you have a view towards the larger pond, right? But you mm-hmm. start small. Like you're not going to go head to head with the iPhone um, because that would be a fool's errand. But perhaps you yeah. build something that eventually could go head to head. And uh, are, are you familiar with Paul Graham? Yes. So, Isn't he the Y Combinator? Yeah, see, so he's one of the founders of Y Combinator. Brilliant dude. Um, and besides the fact that his, his work speaks for itself, uh, his blog is just, I mean, if you're interested in, in business building, fascinating, super useful. I mean, there's a guy who's been behind the Dropbox, Airbnbs, and all, all the names that you know. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's been there. And um, if you Google 
do things that don't scale, you will come up with an amazing essay of his. Um, and mm. so it it's there, there's like a, a, a very small difference between creating a business that is not scalable versus doing things that don't scale. And, and an example, yeah. I think this is what he gave in his article where there's this company handy. Um, I believe mm-hmm. it's handy and they, they clean clothes and fold them for you and bring them back. They essentially wanted to, um, uh, I'm going to Google that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Google it. <laughs> uh, but essentially uh, because I, I want this, what they, um, <laughs> what they wanted to do. So they would come take your clothes, clean them, whatever, fold them, bring them back to you. And they would do things like put a fresh, warm cookie, freshly baked by them yeah. with every set. And the, that was something that was not scalable. They literally couldn't make cookies and stuff fast enough. But in the beginning, it delighted their customers. It, you're saying yes because they, they're in your area? It's in Denver, yeah. But the, it delighted their customers, um, which got the word out. And you know, to do things that don't scale is an awesome problem to have versus yeah. a business that has a hard cap. Um, yeah. I mean, you reply to emails still, right? Um, but not all of them anymore. But I mean, you you physically can't reply to all of them mm. as the business grows. But you you don't you know replying to emails doesn't scale mm. because you spend fifteen minutes re- writing a response to one person. Now maybe that gives you a topic idea for an episode, and that's kind of scalable. But the hours or the minutes you put into answering a single person's email are not scalable. But that differentiates you because that shows that you care about the people who are in your audience and who are asking you questions. And if you're just like, I'm not going to answer any questions ever, mm. you know, that doesn't really send a great message. Maybe you're still being very valuable and it's not going to make people dislike you, but you're leaving, uh, you're leaving a lot of goodwill on the table. And, and it's for the been- same reason I answer Instagram DMs. Mm. I can't answer every single one. Sometimes people ask way too broad of questions, but every morning I sit down and I just like try to answer a few. That's all feedback that you could use to further your business, like just even accepting it's emails. Not, and by the way, yeah. everyone gets responded about to. Uh, often, if it's if I don't respond, that means that we've done something that answers your question. And so Candice or, or maybe even me sometimes will respond with like links essentially so you could get your answer. Yeah. Um, but I want to I talk about things that do scale before everyone like passes out. Because uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, I, it is only so useful to tell you that you're doing everything wrong. Try and do it right by. Um, I want I want yeah. you to try and um, think of things that do scale. And we have like a few ideas for you. Uh, my first one is self-replicating nanobots. <laughs> they scale very well. Uh, and within, I believe it's like, you know, a few days you get uh, end of the world scenario. So... Boom. That's probably the the best scaling thing ever. (laughs) But oh, did they sell so well in the beginning? Uh, Look, if you're an engineer, specifically like a software engineer, you probably already think about scale because it's been drilled into your head as a concept from day one. And so I actually don't want to talk about software things because um, there is so much like that's that's the obvious answer. There's so much that could scale outside of software. So, mm-hmm. you know, build Microsoft Windows, sell it infinite times, cool, moving on. Um, All right, so we have anything subscription-based? Uh, and you know this very well, Andrew, mm. Planet Fitness so, sells 
oodles and oodles of gym memberships, but they don't have to have enough gym space and equipment to service all of those people because most don't go. You know, just as most people probably don't consume $10 per month worth of bandwidth on Netflix. Yeah. They just keep the subscription around. You know, so I think a subscription is like you're selling, you're almost, you're selling the option to watch all of that stuff. You're not selling the content itself. You're selling access to it. Yeah. There's this, access is infinite. There's a service called a uh, trim that we've talked about before. And they essentially like, we'll go, we'll connect to your bank account, see what uh, services you have and either cancel them for you. Cause sometimes they're like really challenging, like uh shutter stock and freaking impossible to cancel. Um, they'll, they'll cancel things for you or even negotiate and get them cheaper. And like literally the top ones that they cancel are gyms, Planet Fitness being maybe the second one on the list because it's mm-hmm. like this aspirational thing. Like you, you, when you sign up for the gym, even though you didn't go, you still intend to go and paying for it almost makes you feel like you're making an effort. And so yeah. imagine if you were able to build a business similar to that where uh, instead of the friction being getting people to make a purchase, uh, the friction becomes uh, canceling um, and your job becomes preventing them from canceling. I I mean, ideally it wouldn't be to be an asshole and make it impossible to cancel. It would be to increase the value of your service, you know, or lower the churn rate. Yeah. Like find people who aren't going to the gym and call them and be like, Hey, let me hold your hand and walk with you to the gym or whatever it takes. (laughs) you know, to keep them as customers, but you, you switch um, the problem in your business because, mm-hmm. you know, if you were selling Norda tracks, uh, you could only sell so many, you know, and it's, it's a harder sell. Right. Uh, so next one, we have any kind of content creation, really podcasts, blogs, YouTube channels, Instagram posts, musically lip syncs, whatever. Um, so like you say here, there's, there's a fixed cost to creating the thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but once it's done out there, the potential audience is anywhere from zero people to millions and billions of people. And, uh, and look, we've beaten so this, this point, to death because we talk about our businesses all the time. But yeah. but the, the point is like the first thing that you created uh, on College Info Geek uh, was maybe viewed by 10 people in the first two yep. years and now maybe 10 people a day view it and, and much more likely, you know, 100 or whatever. And so mm-hmm. um, there, there are things that Listen Money Matters has created that get crickets and the equivalent amount of dollars. And there are other ones that literally make uh, m- vomit-inducing amounts of money and it only took like X dollars to create. So yeah, um, took the same amount. Yeah, and 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 I really don't want to harp on it. Uh, but what happens is like, it's infinitely scalable. It's easy to get into, and God forbid you come up with something like Gangnam Style, um, that video with uh, the Korean dude that I don't know. He's doing that weird dance. I don't know if it's called <laughs> like a, like a horse dance or something. Anyways, that video has 3.1 billion views, and I don't care what kind of math you do on 3.1 billion, <laughs> billion views, the guy made a lot of money on, yep. on a very small initial investment. Yeah, that's a lot of ad revenue. Yeah. Uh, so we have things, anything that can be automated. So 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. The average profit margin in a dry cleaning business is 150%. Yeah. So so we know this guy who owns this dry cleaner by where we used to live in Hoboken. And it was his family business. And I don't know, it's been like two or three years. And now they own like almost every dry cleaning business in Hoboken. And oh uh, it fascinates me. And so I, I looked into it. And first of all, the business, dry cleaning is almost completely automated. There obviously needs someone just needs to work huh. the desk and, you know, yeah. attach like items to the customer. And there's like some nominal work, but cheap labor. Um, and, and even better, you could just farm it out to one of the big places and they'll do all the cleaning for you for a fee and you just take the- So you're just a front. Yeah. And so <laughs> uh, it's an enormously collection point. Yeah, and so in, wow, a, in okay. a city like Denver, New York, Hoboken, um, Indianapolis, like you could do well with that. So my home vacuum cleaner service is actually a service in which I show up and just place a Roomba down <laughs> on your floor. Hey, man. And then I go to the next house. <laughs> Roomba. Roomba's all day. Damn right. <laughs> you know, laundromats are not all that different. Um in, mm-hmm. in Hoboken. That's true. The, you just got to put extra things, extra washing machines. You know, okay. People do the work themselves. So I don't know. I feel like we had talked about Zipcar before. And I, I mean, I, I, I'm i fascinated with things like that. And Yeah, we have. Yeah, and just how uh, they don't buy the car. They rent the car mm-hmm. or, or they, they get a lease or they, they take a loan out. And so they use leverage to make enormous return. And if you look at a laundromat, uh, maybe the... the uh, business, the, the entry level business man will be like, oh my God, how can I afford 20 washers and 20 dryers and rent? I mean, I'm going to need to beg my parents for money. I just can't, I have to be rich to open this business. But yeah. there are places, and I know because in our old building we used to live, that will rent, because we had it in our basement, washer, dryer, they will rent you machines for monthly costs. And so perhaps uh, all of your machines, 20 dryer, and I don't know what they would be, but maybe it's like 300 a month. And so all of a sudden you have like yep. little cost and uh, it's, yeah, it's all profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have internet-based services. So Netflix, um, Skillshare is one. Mm. Um, Skillshare is great because, you know, I, they do produce content, but anybody else can produce content as well. And then they get a cut of the monthly revenue from their students but that means Skillshare's content library can grow without more investment from them. Mm. And all they have to do is advertise and get more people to subscribe. Do, do you know how the, the uh, business model works with Skillshare? You mean like their business model? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it's monthly fee. Uh, I mean, how about a monthly fee? Is there something else? So, okay. Well, because you can create something for Skillshare, right? Yeah. And why would you create something for Skillshare for them to profit? And what they do is like monthly. Well, you get a cut. Right. So based on how many people consume your course. So mm-hmm. it, you could go and be like, hey, I'm Thomas. And I'm going to show you how to plug in headphones. Complete course. I'm plugging in <laughs> headphones. You'll never need to learn anything about it ever again. Right. Probably no one is going to watch it. So you will make zero dollars. But say... <laughs> <laughs> I kind of actually kind of felt like you gave me an amazing idea, and now I just want to make like a ton of courses on really easy things. <laughs> well, you know, uh, here's how to put your toilet lid up. <laughs> so, so we've been doing like a lot of like research on things people want. In your spare time, uh, use 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 uh, the tool to look at WikiHow 
and you will see the amount of people like looking up like how to tie shoes and just like really, really basic things. You're like, oh my God, people look for this online. <laughs> uh, but but anyways, so if you wanted to say, say you, like you know how to do things and you want to teach people, you could uh, go and create your brand and try and promote it and blah, blah, blah. And when you're old and gray, uh, maybe sell a few courses or you could create a course Stick it on Skillshare, and they'll give you rev share proportionally based on how many people consumed your course versus yeah. how many people pay Skillshare as members. And so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a thousand people a year watch your stupid course on plugging in headphones. You can make serious money on that. Um, so, something easy to jump into that takes a one time effort, no coding. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to make a Skillshare course. Don't do it, Thomas. I think I'm going to, no, I'm going to do it because I work with Skillshare a lot on my channel. Uh, and I'm thinking that if I have a course there, it will actually make people more likely to sign up. You could just, so, you could eat, uh, eat from both ends. You can get the, from aff- three ends, the affiliate income from promote Affiliate income, sponsorship income, and the revenue share. See, that is, that's a sexy business model. Um, yeah, you, if you're a YouTuber who also has a website, then there's three ways to make money from Skillshare. So, uh, not sexy business model, uh, high end restaurant or, or middle ground restaurant. Super sexy business model, pizzeria. Pizzeria, like the. So I was talking to Laura before we were doing this episode, and it costs somewhere between fifty cents and a dollar to make a pie of pizza. Um, and you as a sucker will pay like $15 gladly because who doesn't love pizza? I would literally eat it every meal of every day. <laughs> and so if you think about the, the, uh, Oh my God, I want pizza for dinner now. Right. That, that's literally my life, uh, the incremental cost. And that's why, I mean, and then to deliver pizza, uh, you get those like warming things that are made for pizza. You could jam like 10 pies into a car, you know, and it stays good. It's not like French fries that'll ruin, you know, in delivery. So pizza catapult. Mm. That way I don't have to use cars. Damn. Just a catapult. <laughs> That's going to scale amazingly. Pizza drones with Roombas attached. That, That's so probably going to be a thing. after the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I predict that in the next 10 years we will have pizza and beer drone mm. delivery service. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Freaking DoorDash. Uh, I bet you DoorDash is just counting down the days in Uber Eats as well to when they can get uh, delivery drones that just go to the restaurant. You, the restaurant owner throws the food on the drone and then it brings it to you. They have one in San Francisco. It's this. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it's, it looks oh, it's like a mini looks like a mini tank and it could actually navigate. Kind of, I mean, like it's navigating through GPS. It's able to see if there are obstacles and it has this mm-hmm. compartment inside it uh, that keeps it like the temperature consistent and it is like literally impossible mm. to break into. And they were doing, I was watching this video of people like trying to like steal it and break into it and shit. Um, and you can't. Interesting. Okay. Huh. All right. What else we got here? We have a uh, investing. Mm-hmm. So if you're setting up automatic monthly investments, you can just, you know, invest a fixed amount every single month, like, dollar cost average, and uh, compound interest over time. That's scale. Like, do, talk about easy. You just take a thousand dollars every month, jam it into Betterment, and in forty years, you have like I don't know, five hundred percent return or something insane, and uh, you didn't do anything besides set up yeah. the account once. Like, super easy. Um, 
granted it is not uh the the upside oh, on in the income level isn't like owning a pizzeria but in terms of mm-hmm. taking like a fixed amount of resources and and exponentially multiplying it it's pretty damn good yeah exactly uh and then lastly we have listed rental properties so i mean that is a form of investment but it's a little different than investing in a stock but still you have a you know enough money to put a down payment on a rental property you can get a mortgage there you go. Now it's cash flowing mm. and you can just add more rental properties over time. You can hire uh, property managers to deal with everything. And at that point, you just own the asset and you spend zero time on it. it with, and you make money. Exactly. With with the one catch of I, I, there are a lot of people who um, live in areas where rental properties would do well and they have capital to invest and like, well, I'll just manage it myself. And I think for like one, two, three, ten, there's like some maximum where you'll be earning. Yeah, you could do. Yeah, it's not worth your time. And but to make it scalable, you need a team, like a management company. Yep. Yeah, you got to use managers. Otherwise, it's just not going to work out for you. And plus, when someone flushes uh, a rubber ducky down the toilet, uh, you don't <laughs> want to go get it out. <laughs> yeah. See, this is why I I personally do not want to own rental properties because, uh. I don't like dealing with people's shit Mm. and I want none of my livelihood to be in any way, shape or form connected to dealing with people's shit. I learned this when I was an RA. Mm. I learned that it was my job to deal with people's shit and um, I didn't like it. (laughs) 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 It's great. Now I'm, everything is predictable. Now I wake up, I'm like, all right, my living is based on me creating this thing. And I mean, obviously the market has to respond well to it, but I personally like when I'm creating for a market rather than when I'm just like, I'm, I'm not a good tutor either. Mm. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm wired for one-to-one quite as much as other people are, but, which is great because some people are. But dude, but yeah. dude, you're, you're early in your journey because imagine if you fast forwarded to a point and you had a million dollars. Right. You've run your business for a long time. You saved blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, you, that, that money needs to be put to work in some fashion. Yeah. And uh, what happens is like as you have more capital, different opportunities open up that yield better and differently, you know. Right. Yeah. And I guess like at a certain point. If, if you are going to be doing like a, uh, I'm, you know, working with one person kind of business, you do have the ability to be selective about who you work with, mm. which is a potential way out of that. Um, but when I was an RA, that wasn't an option. It was, here's your hall assignment. And if there is a horrible person living in that hall, then you're dealing with them. that. That seems like the lowest of the low for property management tasks. Yeah. Cause they're people who have never lived on their own ever. And, and yeah, it is not exactly. well paid. Yep. Um, so I know we talked about it already, but I did just want to reiterate, there are things that you should not be just only thinking about scale on. Mm. So customer interactions, you know, if you want to have a lot of goodwill in your business and you want to make, you want to help people out as much as possible, then you shouldn't be thinking, how can I scale support? How can I scale interactions and get out of them as quickly as possible? Mm. You know, I'm still, uh, fascinated and inspired by how like Gary Vaynerchuk used to reply to everyone on Twitter even when he had like 2 million followers mm. it was crazy you know and he's still I don't know if he does as many Twitter replies as he used to but he will 
He'll take like some time out of every single day and he will email people on his list or he'll text people who follow him with text message marketing or he'll snap people. Like that's not scalable. And the dude's a millionaire, probably, you know, tens of millions at this point, Mm. but he still does it. So there are certain things that there, you have to think about other um, qualities about them besides scalability. Agreed. But yeah, that's it. (laughs) So hopefully this was helpful to you. Hopefully this sort of, uh, I don't know, aims your thinking in a positive and productive direction. If you are A, considering going out on your own, doing your own thing, business-wise, side hustle-wise, or, you know, maybe it will help you to identify areas in your employed work where you could either add elements of scaling to your job or you could improve the company you work with by you know, changing things that are very inefficient over to better, more scalable processes. Mm. For example, when I was uh, an intern at an IT company, they assigned me this project where I would have had to literally click on, a, on every single server in a list of a thousand servers and change a few settings and then wait for it to load again, which would have taken like a minute. And I just coded an automation script to do it. So boom. Look for inefficiencies in your work and uh, you will be rewarded most likely. Damn right. So if you have questions, personal finance questions, business questions, I know Andrew loves answering business questions. Yeah, you're right. Uh, either type of questions, you can always email us, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And you can also check out the show notes for this episode. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or anywhere else, you can probably bring the uh, show notes up by swiping or tapping on our faces. Um, otherwise listen, moneymatters.com slash show is where you can find all the show notes for every single episode we've ever done, including this one. And you can also check out our favorite resources, uh, investing tools, budgeting tools, books that we recommend and lots more over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. So thank you so much for hanging out with us and we will see you in the next week's episode. Later, man. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show.